Welcome back to Prospects Worldwide. Every episode, we break down the prospects that are going to be the future of Major League Baseball. Today is episode 5 of our six-part draft series, and it's all about the AL West. Will the Mariners finally find the right guys to pull them back to the playoffs? Will the Astros unearth hidden gems, even with their draft pick sanctions? We'll break them all down here. I'll be your host, John Giles, and this is Prospects Worldwide. We are back. Guys, we're on the home stretch now with only two divisions left in our six-part series breaking down the 2020 MLB Draft. If you haven't already been following the draft recaps, one, shame on you. These guys are incredible. And two, you can always go back and listen to them now. Right now is fine. We will wait. Uh, <laughs> while our listeners fulfill their scouting needs, this is as good as the time as any. Reintroduce yourselves. Let's start, as always, with the splendid spin rate himself, the owner of Prospects Worldwide, and my co-host, Jake Tillinghast. Jake, how's the nickname? It's another one. I mean, here we are, episode what? Episode five? Five nicknames. So here we go. Number six tomorrow. Or the next day. Hey, you get Ted Williams here, Splinted Splinter, man. This is a this is a, an elite nickname. I said it's good. I mean, it's not bad. <laughs> well, the other two people with me today are always the crowd favorites. I've got Zach Silverman of the Dugout Edge and Chris Clegg of recent Mass Twitter follower fame. How are you guys doing today? Oh man, I'm doing good. It's good to be on again. Talk some some draft recap. I'm doing good. I'm excited to talk about these guys. Yeah, Chris, what happened? You got like 2,000 Twitter followers over the weekend. <laughs> Not quite. I did get a nice boost up to like over 2,000. I don't know, man. The fantasy baseball community just like really took to me and everybody was just hyping up my Twitter and I got like legit like 250 followers in a day. So it was kind of cool. A lot of fun. <laughs> I think I've got like 250 total. Yeah, I have, I, I'm have. i sitting at a dead on 150. This is the most depressing thing in the world. <laughs> <laughs> hey, the fantasy baseball community is a pretty cool place, man. They A lot of good people. Sure, yeah. Well, we have already meticulously scouted both the AL and NL East, and we've spoken at long length on the central teams in both circuits. So now we're going to move to the left coast where we start with the AL West. First team up is the Seattle Mariners, and they take a guy who at this point last year was thought to be a possible number one overall pick. We're talking Emerson Hancock, pitcher out of UGA. Uh, potentially the best right-handed pitcher in the draft. He joined, he joins a farm with a lot of burgeoning arm talent with Gilbert, Dunn, Kirby. Uh, is he a future number one ace in this staff? How high is it with him? I've seen some Zach Wheeler comps. Jake, tell me about him. Yeah, I really like Hancock. He was honestly my number one pitcher just overall. I think he has the most just long-term success, just being able to just that body just really built to have that success in the uh, rotation. Lacey and Meyer are great and all, but there's some question marks. Obviously, Lacey has that workhorse mentality, but there's some question marks just a little bit there, but he's great and all. But I just love Hancock. Everything about this guy is just wonderful. The changeup is honestly pretty nuts like i was i was doing some digging on it and there was a report out on him that he said he was uh, getting 11.8 vertical break on his changeup thought that was kind of pretty good so i went to savant checked it out checked what mlb had and just kind of doing a digging any uh pitcher with over 50 changeups in the league hancock would have led them by three inches and the highest the next highest would have been joey lucchesi at 8.9 so the pretty much 12-inch break that Hancock was getting just straight vertical was pretty absurd. And in 1,600 RPM, he was getting some decent fade with it as well. The fastball, 92-94, touches 97. 
2430 RPM, which is pretty up, slightly above average. It gets 9% swing and miss, not a ton. The sliders where it gets a lot of swing and miss is 57.9. It's probably a second, or I don't know. The fastball and uh, slider are really nice. I love his changeup. I think it's his best pitch and not the best pitch in the draft, but it's one of them. I really like it. It's pretty underrated in my opinion. Emerson Hancock is a really, really on-brand pick for the Mariners. They love these guys who can go out and dominate the strike zone. Um, they they got that in George Kirby. Uh, Gilbert doesn't have quite the the command as these two guys, but he was another similar guy who could just go and control the strike zone. And I think Hancock is a guy where he was the number one overall pick, and nothing's really changed. He was a number a favorite early on, and nothing's really changed since he was. But it's just you know the the microscope that you have in that kind of top five pick range is so powerful that we kind of found faults that weren't really huge faults. Now, I don't think he's the best player in this draft, but I think he's absolutely him sliding to six, I think is no bad indication of his talent. So you've, you've got power stuff, you know, the fastball in the mid nineties, um, you got four or three off speed pitches, all of which are at least above average. Um, and as, as Jake said, the changeup is, is probably his best. The, the qualm with him has kind of been that there's no plus put away pitch really like everything is kind of 55 60 but there's nothing that's like that true 60 65 at least in the general community but as jake said i think some people are underrating his changeup, uh and that, that could be his true uh put away pitch so hancock's really kind of got it all going for him it's he'll pr- he has ace upside he probably settles in as more of a two three but it is a lot to like and there are really really few holes in his profile it's just overall you know 50 55 and 60 grade everything across the board so Talking about that microscope with his ace uh, upside, look back and, you know, I guess look forward in 15 years and we're looking back on this draft. Ace of Lacey, Max Meyer, Emerson Hancock. Who is that ace out of those three? I would go with Lacey. Um, I just think he has the most powerful stuff. And with the command trending up like it has been, uh, I I don't think he's going to have any problem. I would go with Lacey as the ace. I think Hancock is the safe bet. And Meyer, I think, is he's kind of the wild card. I, I don't think there's a low floor or anything with him. I just think he – I don't really know where he's going to land because – I mean, I love all three of them, of course. So Hancock is safe bet, but with ace upside, number one potential. That's – I mean, yeah. Mariners can't be mad at that. No, of course not. It's, it, pick six, this is great. Yeah, you guys kind of covered most everything. But again, like Hancock's my favorite pitcher in the class. I think he's the – Safest, like we said, probably the highest floor. Uh, Lacey, obviously, in my opinion, the most upside of any of the starters. You guys covered most of what I could say, um, but again, he's just plus across the board, like four really good pitches above average to, to plus pitches there. Good command. He just gets it done. So I love the high floor, and uh, I think the Mariners got a real steal there. I think they're, they were thrilled to be able to get him and that he fell that deep to the draft. Yeah, Chris, that's what you get going third behind these guys. These are elite scouts we're talking about. Jake and Zach know their stuff. You got to you got to come to the table early, my man. I'll give you an opportunity here. We got next op- next overall pick for them is Zach Deloach. I still at SEC at, out of Texas A&M. Uh he is an OBP monster with the ability to hit enough home runs, I think, and and he's got some giddy up on the base path in a short season. He only had 18 games, but he had 14 walks, six home runs, and six stolen bases. Where are his weaknesses? In recent years, statistics say that this kid might be too good to be true. Yeah, he's he's definitely a streaky guy. Um, he struggled in his first two years at A&M, but he really broke out last season in the Cape. 
Uh, he hit 353, and then he, like you said, he dominated the shortened season, hit 421, uh, six home runs in 18 games. Uh, he really excels at contr- controlling the strike zone. He puts the bat on the ball extremely well. He'll likely end up in a corner outfield spot long term, which means the bat will need to perform. He'll need the power there. Um, the tools are pretty good across the board. Uh, right now, right now having pretty average tools uh, everywhere, except he's an above average runner. And he flashed the upside uh, that he can be an above average hit and power tool. Um, there probably are some holes, but overall he's, he's a good prospect. Um, and uh, what he's done last season in the Cape and then even in this shortened season has proved that that he works hard and he he's really improved his game. So I do think there's a lot to like there in that pick. Yeah, I think with Zach Deloach, who he by the way, he grew up right down the street from where I am in Dallas. He he went to Hebron High School, which is fifteen minutes away from where I am here in Addison, Texas. He's kind of a case where the shutdown might have come at the wrong time for him. We might have talked be talking about a guy that would have gone in the first round, or it could be a guy where the shutdown came at just the perfect time. Because Texas A&M played a, played a pretty weak schedule early on that he that he uh, beat up on, um, and he couldn't have hit any better against that. So we don't know what would have happened once he went up against the SEC because he doesn't have that track record from the last two years. He did rake on the Cape, and you can't take that away from him, and that's what pushed him into the top 50, I think more so than what he did in this shortened season. He's a guy who's got, as Chris said, kind of, solid average skills across the board. He's got some power. He controls the strike zone really well. Uh, whether his swing has been on time or not has been more a little more up and down, but he's, he's tightened it up and he's gotten uh, he's gotten a little bit quicker with his swing more recently. So there's hope that he'll be he'll be able to keep keep being on time and keep squaring pitches up just because he he does understand the strike zone so well and that's something that has been he has had that throughout his career. Uh, I see the up. I mean, an upside's a starting starting left or right fielder, a guy who hits twenty to twenty five home runs a year. Um, solid on base percentages to good on base percentages. I mean, that's a real quality player. I think the hope is just he doesn't have that long track record. So what happens when he goes to pro ball and maybe he doesn't hit for as much impact as we thought, just because he, you know, he didn't do it for three years, he did it for one. So we'll see. It, it's a they're buying the trajectory, and hopefully, hopefully, it works out for him. Yeah, he was, he's pretty interesting. One of the more interesting kind of college profiles that I kind of came across in the, in the draft. He released really different statistical uh, profiles between this time at uh, Texas A&M and the Cape. I mean, something to just kind of touch on about the Cape, a lot of teams aren't setting their absolute top arms anymore, just saving bullets for the season and stuff, more just sending development arms. But not not to take away, those arms are still top-of-the-line arms, so still good arms, looking at they getting drafted and all. But nothing to take away anything from Deloach as well he carried that over in the season but like Zach just said uh not the best um schedule so there is definitely some stuff to be weary on but uh, definitely some good tools to work with so should be an inter- interesting little pick nice well I think those tools if, if he can get a consistent non-streaky base those tools can really play for the Mariners so um but but let's move on to the next pick the Mariners had uh and Zach you'll probably know this guy really well he out of Waco which that's right down 35 from you so it's uh, Connor Phillips out of McClellan Community College. He lives on his quick arm. It looks like it pumps up to 98, uh, and he, he's even mid-90s deep in the games. Um, curveball is good break, but I, I'm not a scout. I won't go into all that. I did see a walk rate of over 5 per 9 at McClellan. If he reigns in that control, is where is he going to stand for the Mariners? 
I think if he reigns in that control, then you're talking about a really impact arm. That's kind of the question for him. And Phillips, he he's from the Houston area. He um he actually cracked the uh, MLB pipeline top 200 a year ago, coming out of high school. But he was really raw, and scouts weren't really ready to you know roll the dice on him. So he switched his commitment up. He was going to head to LSU, and instead of heading east, he headed northwest up to Waco to McLennan Community College. And there he's really tightened up the stuff and he has took the step forward that scouts were looking for. And now he's a top 100 pick. Uh, he, he's got, as you said, he's got that fastball. He can run up to 98 and it's a really loose arm. Uh, it's just, it's free and easy delivery. Um, he doesn't repeat it incredibly well yet, but the, with the, the rest of the progress he's made this year, I think that you're okay with that. He, he's maintaining that velocity deep into games just because he's not, really straining all that much to, to pitch. Um, he, he's sharpening up his, uh, his breaking balls. He's still working on them, but he's got really good feel to spin them. And the slider and the curveball, they can kind of blend into each other a little bit. But either way, they're, they're really good breaking balls that he's trending up on. So you're, you're hoping that he, you can get them both to be kind of 55, 60 pitches down the line. Uh, not much of a changeup yet, but, but I think you're just buying the loose, the loose athleticism, the loose arm, the trajectory. And, and the fact that this kid's been getting better and better, uh, hopefully the strike throwing will come if the Mariners can get him a little more consistent with that arm slot because it's really loose. It's really easy. It just, you know, sometimes it wavers on him. Um, but it, it's a it's a chance to have an impact starting pitcher here. Nice. Well, I mean, another arm is perfect for that for that farm system. That's exactly, you know, what the Mariners are still trying to pump into there. I, I do want to move to the next guy. Uh, go north a little bit to Oklahoma State. We got Caden Polkovich. To me, he seems like he's kind of a candidate that's going to move kind of quickly through the system, maybe even just like as a super utility guy. He can play multiple positions in the infield. He's a switch hitter with great looking numbers in both the Cape and in the Big 12. Um, how is his switch hitting? Is he truly switch or is he going to have to lose that luxurious switch hitting title to, to sit on one side? I don't know. I think he can uh, maintain both. He's an interesting guy. He's a, he's a small frame. He sits at about uh, 5'8". But he gets a lot of power. He's got a really strong swing. He really gets the most out of his body. And like you mentioned, um, a good switch hitter that really caught the Mariners' eye last season at the Cape um, when he hit 305 with four homers and six stolen bases. Um, he's just a grinder, man. He he hits – the. I mean, everywhere he's been, he's hit well from the Cape to Oklahoma State this year. Um, like you said, he's got experience at multiple positions. He can play second, third – even the outfield. So he's very versatile, um, nice kind of utility guy there. Um, I'm not sure how quick he'll move through, but it is possible um, that he could move through the system quickly and and be that kind of utility guy for the Mariners. Um, but I do I do like the potential that he offers there. Lot, lot to like. I guess my mentality on him moving quickly was play multiple positions, the switch hitter ability to be able to contribute to a lineup uh, I guess a little bit more flexible, uh, a little bit more flexibly than other people. Uh, but if his tools aren't there, then then there's no reason to push him. Yeah, I think he's a guy who who plays above his tools often. Now, first off, hold off on the, the small frame five eight. I'm five eight. I don't think that's that small. Um, <laughs> Same hey, I am too. It's okay. <laughs> but uh, of course, I didn't make it past high school ball. But uh, anyway, I think you're absolutely right on Balkovich. I mean, uh, us little guys, we uh, we we play hard. We know we have to. Um, he plays hard. He he's got he's hit everywhere he's gone, as you said, and I think he's got that really good plate discipline. and And I really like his swing. It's a really really powerful 
explosive swing, but he, it's under control. It's tight and quick as well. So I think it's he's going to hit for a little more power than you'd expect. I mean, he's not going to be a twenty homer guy, but uh, yeah, eight to ten, uh, maybe yeah, especially out there like in T-Mobile Park. Um, kind of, he's kind of a, a fringe starter. I mean, I wouldn't bet against him at all because I just think guys who work like that and guys who who want to get better like that, I would never bet against them. Uh, so it's kind of for now a fringe starter projection, maybe a second baseman outfielder type of deal. But I, I like the upside here, even though even if he's not a traditional upside pick, I think you could get get a really a really quality ball player here for a uh, as somebody who took I think he took a discount. Uh, signed for five seventy five with a pick value of seven ninety three thousand. It is weird that he signed on our slot and just to touch on the Mariners didn't spend all their money. They I think they saved I'm not sure if you have it in front of you. I can tell you right now that they were either at slot or under on every single pick. They were slightly under on Hancock, at slot on Deloach, at slot on Phillips, by four hundred thousand under on Polkovich, and then about forty thousand on the next two under. Okay, yeah, it's just, I don't know. It's something the Potos has a history with, which is just I don't know. I find it weird and interesting. Yeah, I, I don't understand the whole process. Might be maybe it's owner driven. I don't know, but not gonna speculate on it. It's just weird to me. The draft is the the most cost effective way to add talent. If you're not spending your full bonus pool, you're not trying. I absolutely agree. Yeah. Well, uh, let's move from the guy that we were slandering being short to the 6'4 power hitter out of Ole Miss, Tyler Keenan. Their fourth round pick, number 107 overall. Uh, Keenan, in his 600 career plate appearances at Ole Miss, had 31 home runs and another 25 or extra base hits. Sadly, it looks like he's probably a liability on the base paths and and likely won't sit at third. What's his future looking like, Jake? Yeah, like you said, I I don't think he can stay at third. His range range and just kind of quickness left to right and just even uh, on on the short... uh, on the short choppers are just a little bit iffy. His arm's good. It could stick there, but just the quickness is just not really there. He's going to be a first baseman or a, probably a DH type guy. I mean, maybe you can get away with sticking him in left, but he's not the fleetest of feet. So not going to be the best out there. Um, yeah. I mean, his leg or his, uh, his swings little, little iffy, but he, he does a good job of making contact. He only had a 17% K rate, which isn't the best in college, but still not, not still not the worst. Um, and a 12% K rate or walk rate, which for a power hitter, these numbers aren't the worst. He does a decent job of making contact. I don't think the hit tool is ever going to be there by any means. Definitely going to be a straight power guy. The power is definitely going to play. He's got big raw power. Like I said, he's a big guy. It definitely plays in game as well. Just kind of going forward. I definitely, like I said, I think he'll just be kind of that run producing first baseman, the age role, not really much else there. Just kind of be 25 homer guy that's going to hit 220, 240, and draw some walks. Yeah, I like Tyler Keenan. Um, he, you know, he's a huge guy, 6'4", 250. He's listed out with a ton of power. He's got a little bit of a hitch in his swing. It's almost like a Gary Sheffield type of thing. He doesn't wiggle it around like Gary. But right before the pitch, he almost points the head of the bat towards the pitcher right before he swings. In like a Gary Sheffield kind of thing, um, that'll probably come back to bite him uh, in pro ball because I, I think there's only one Gary Sheffield. But uh, I don't, I don't even know how Gary succeeded. Like that. the man's wrists are probably insanely strong. But so Keenan will probably have to iron that hitch out a little bit. Uh, I hope that doesn't sap his power at all because it's big. Um, but he, as as Jake said, he's kept his case down pretty well, and he's performed in the SEC. Um, and he's hit consistently SEC. So I'm not super worried about his hit tool. I'd put it, it sounds like Jake, you probably have it down around a 40, maybe a 45. I'd probably put it a half grade higher, 
just because I think he, he's hit so consistently against good competition in the SEC. I also see him as kind of a 25 homer guy, maybe a little higher than a 220, 240, maybe more like a 250 type of hitter, you know, decent on base percentages. That's, that's again, another, especially since he won't be providing much defensive value, that's kind of a fringe starter type. But I think I think he can stick, especially in a platoon role. And I, I think they'll get a good power bat here. You were slandering Gary Sheffield Jr. when you said there was only one Gary Sheffield. So you apologize to former Edmonton prospect Gary Sheffield Jr. I'm sorry, Gary Sheffield Jr. <laughs> Thank you. I'm sure he listens. I will make sure that, that he listens to this episode for us. Uh, Everyone Zach- listens to our podcast. What do you mean? <laughs> Absolutely. Especially Gary Sheffield, actually, his father. <laughs> uh, Zach, I am curious about the last pick here. Taylor Dollard, fifth round pick out of Cal Poly. At the Cape last summer, he struck out 27 and only walked one. In his career, he's mostly maintained a whip under one, and we're talking about him in the fifth round. Is he just outperforming his stuff, or whatever he has, it seems to work incredibly well. What do you know about him? So yeah, the stuff isn't really amazing. He's more, he's kind of around 90 with his fastball. He, bu- he can bump it up to 93 at times, but you know, it's, it's kind of, it's more of an average fastball. Um, good slider, it's kind of a 55. Sometimes he'll rattle off some 60 sliders. That's really his bread, bread and butter. Um, but overall, the stuff is pretty average aside from that slider. It, it, what really helps him kind of succeed is he's got plus command. Uh, he spots his pitches really, really well. He tunnels his fastball and his slider off each other really, really well. Uh, and on top of that, he, he's got some deception in his delivery. He uh, he leaves his arm back um, for kind of an extra half second, kind of messes with hitter's timing. Um, it's, it's tough to square him up just because he's always – mixing his pitches and kind of playing them off each other. Cause aside from the slider, which is, you know, I mean, it's not a true plus pitch, but it's, it's on its way there. Um, there's nothing really that'll miss bats on its own. So he's kind of a, you know, number four starter type of deal, but I, I like the way the ball comes out of his hand the, and the Mariners love these guys who can control the zone. They're, they're all in on these guys who can post great K to BBs. And, you know, that's, that's dollar for you. Um, I think he can add a little bit of velocity, maybe get up into the low nineties a little more consistently, and that would keep him in the rotation. Uh, otherwise, if he doesn't add velocity, he's probably stuck in the bullpen. But you know, in, in the fifth round, I think you'll take that. Uh, I like Dollard. I think he's, I think he's going to be an interesting, interesting pitcher. I think a lot of people are banking on him and and Phillips and, and Hancock to really kind of bolster this pitching staff moving forward. Whether it, whether it is in the starting rotation or if they happen to fall into the bullpen, still make sure that seventh and eighth inning is so strong. Mm-hmm. But I want to move on to the next team in the AL West. And, and I'm sure, Jake, I, I know you're excited to talk about them. The Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim or, or Anaheim Angels, whatever we call them now. They have like 45 different names. They didn't have a second round pick this year because they signed Anthony Rendon. So they started with limited capital, but they turned it into some pretty big talent that, Jake, I know you're excited about. Uh, the first one was pitcher out of Louisville, Reed Detmers. Detmers had been, he's been an ever improving left-hander and in his four starts this year, just unfathomable stats. You know, I'm a big stack guy when it comes to these things, 48 strikeouts, six walks in 22 innings. He was averaging nearly 20 strikeouts per nine. Obviously he was a top 10 pick. So everyone was aware of how good he was, but why is he not higher than Hancock and Lacey and Meyer? I see incredible stuff here. Uh, yeah, I mean, his stuff's definitely really good. I, I just don't think he has the full-term, long-term upside 
as the uh, as the top three, like you said. I definitely think he's really good. I'm very happy the Angels made this selection because it's exactly what they needed. They just kind of going back the last few years uh, with the Angels drafts, they they select a top prep outfielder, then select another one or maybe an infielder, and then they literally have gone after. I have I've gotten some notes in the last uh, few weeks. It was something stupid like three straight years of from round three to like round 20, they would select 15 to 18 pitchers year in, year out. None of them would literally get out of single A. Like, I don't think any of them have gone out of single A at this point. It's kind of crazy if you think about it, because those are like round three picks. Like, they're not even that bad. But like I said, this is something they needed to do. They they needed to go after someone in that first round. That Detmers is the guy they needed to get. Like I said, he's not going to be nice, but... He'll slot in as a number two, number three. He's got probably the best curveball in the class. That thing is just insane. I, I just love that pitch. Um, the fastball works really well off of it. It works just, it's not too like overpowering, 90, 94, but from the left side, it has some nice arm side run. But yeah, his arm lags a little bit when he kind of rushes delivery and when he kind of doesn't stay behind his pitches. It's not overly worrisome. He doesn't do it that much, but it's just kind of something to kind of iron out. But yeah, like I said, I really like this pick and it's just something they really had to do to kind of solidify the rotation going forward. Yeah, his stats have been insane, as you mentioned. I mean, he's just been absolutely dominant, especially in 2019 and then even carried over again to this shortened season where he's just was dominant and you mentioned why he's not being talked about as the top uh, one of the top pitchers with with Hancock and Lacey and Meyer and I just don't think the stuff lines up exactly with what his numbers have and that's not denying his skill like he's he's in a, a he's a great pitcher and like Jake said he probably slots in as a a two or three type guy um I think I do think he needs to work on some of the fastball velocity. Uh, it's been sitting between 89 and 92. And while you can get away with that, um, it is something that I do think this doesn't go unnoticed. Like obviously his curveball stands out, like that's his best pitch and this is a go-to and it's uh, what he uses to punch out a lot of the guys. Um, got four pitches. Uh, the slider doesn't throw as much, but it's a pitch that he could work in and and make a serviceable offering. But again, maybe he's just a guy that constantly outperforms his stuff. You know, I mean, he's he's proved it, and so maybe maybe he does, and maybe he is an SP one. I'm not I'm not thinking that's likely, but he he definitely makes it work, and he the results have shown it. I think the most impressive aspect about Detmers is, of course, you've got, you know, the plus command that makes everything play up, but it's not just the plus command here. It's his ability to control the strike zone, which I know we talked about a lot with the Mariners, but again, Detmers has that ability to control the strike zone, which is, you know, tied in with command, but it's it's a little different. He, I mean, he establishes both sides of the plate. He establishes it up. He establishes it down. He controls every at-bat that he's in. He, he doesn't, he doesn't back away from any hitters. Um, he's always in control. It, it's He's the alpha on the mound. That's the way he likes it. And that, I think, more than anything else, is what makes his stuff play up. You know, the low 90s fastball, not a ton of velocity. you got that wicked curve. But even the curve doesn't have a ton of velocity. It's, it's in the 70s, you know, low to mid-70s. Um, but, you know, the movement is ridiculous on that pitch. The movement and the shape and the power. It's just it's, everything, everything he has is a little bit slower, but he controls every at bat from start to finish and i think that more than anything else makes this stuff play out sure i mean the angels need it like jake like you said 
they've just swung and missed so many times with these pitchers that if they can find one, just even if it's not SP1, but even if it's SP2 or SP3, just someone to stick in that rotation. It's so necessary right now in LA. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think he has one of the better floors as a starting pitcher in the draft. Like, he doesn't have that risk of kind of getting shoved in the bullpen, I don't think, at least right now. I don't see it. Um, I mean, if the Angels do some crazy stuff this year in the 60-game season, I wouldn't honestly be surprised if they were to call him up because he's, he's one of the more polished pitchers. Like, he's, if you told me they needed him right now, he's not going to be improving a ton over the next year and a half that he would get not pitching the major league so i would be okay with it if he came up and just got some innings for the team if they really needed it down the stretch i like it add some excitement to this 60 game season there's gonna be a few yeah, guys absolutely uh now jake you did mention their propensity to go high school outfielder high school outfielder high school outfielder over and over and over again well third round david calabrese calabrese um one of those prep outfielder out of toronto uh, Calabrese is one of the brightest and most gifted athletes roaming center field in this draft. And he seems to focus on contact over power, which, you know, I always like, uh, how do you think he's going to develop given he's only a high schooler? Zach, he's got plenty of time to grow. Is there power down the road? What do you think about him? I really like him. Uh, I think there is power. I, I don't think he's a power first guy, but I think there's going to be enough in there to project him as a starter. I mean, I really like him. It's a loose swing. Get a little bit of an uppercut. He really drives the ball. He's, he he drives the ball all over the field. He hits it hard consistently. Um, you know, above average hit tool, and, and he's not the biggest guy in the world listed at five eleven. But I, I think he will grow into a little bit of power. Maybe that kind of ten to fifteen home run power can pop for eighteen to twenty in his best years. But I mean, you're talking with in top of the plus plus speed that he shows, and he's young for the class. He reclassified to be a part of this class, so he doesn't turn. 18 until September. And I think that bodes even better for his future power production. It gives him that much more time to develop. Uh, I think I see a little bit of Isaiah Green in him. We talked about him with the Mets. Um, Ooh, I like that. It's, it's, it's a really, really broad set of school skills at a young age. And I don't know, I, I just have a good feeling about him. I think this kid is going to continue to get better. And I think he's going to be, if not a five tool player at the major league level, uh, just a broad 50s and 55s across the board with the with the 70 speed yeah just back to the basics for the angels like you were saying just right back to the prep outfielders and i liked it i like this pick a lot like zach was kind of touching on a lot of the on the stuff i was going to but he tracks the ball really well in center field no issues they're kind of sticking out there he posts legitimate 70 even eight he's had some 80 degree times on the field so he's he has that in him it kind of shows up on the base pass as well he definitely i, I do think he's not going to grow into any big power hitter but there is some carry there and like you said, he's he's young. He's 5'11", 160, so there is a lot of weight to kind of gain there. He's probably not going to be a big bulky guy or anything, but he'll be up to about 190, 195, I'm sure. So he'll definitely have some weight to kind of put on and some power to kind of gain from it. But I like the pick a lot, and it's a lefty, so I like lefty outfielders. They're fun. Well, interesting note. You say he's a potential 4 or 5 tool player, Isaiah Green comps. He signed for a slot out of high school, so they didn't have to convince him to go. They were able to save some money. They still haven't signed the next guy, uh, Werner Blakely out of Michigan. He's a shortstop. I imagine they're going to have to start paying him a little bit more. So maybe that Calabrese, I guess, saving is going to help him there. Blakely made a splash when he when he started at shortstop at the Under Armour All-American game. And he absolutely raked in his career at Detroit Edison High. Is this a case of COVID causing a high schooler to fall to uh, otherwise, you know, he could have been an immense talent where they're, now they're going to have to pay him? Yeah, I, I have heard some things of rooming kind of going around that 
he's expected to sign for 900,000, which is I think 500,000 over slot if I'm right, if I'm correct. We'll see if it comes kind of comes out. If you watch some video on him, it's kind of like he's just straight pops out on video. It's kind of I'm surprised he wasn't ranked, but then I was kind of watching some more game video and the tools didn't really translate as much into the games, but they're definitely there. It's just very, very raw. And he's a, he's a big shortstop. He's six for three, really wiry. A lot of projection um, with power kind of coming with him. He has a really big, powerful swing, hard, oh, really hard swing. He's got some things to kind of fix through with the swings kind of his hands uh, are a bit needs to get a little higher. He starts him off pretty low, has some trouble getting with the uh, high fastballs, but he's got a really good bat angle and generates plus bat speed from the left side. He's got a really strong arm. He's been registered, I think, at I have here, 87 miles an hour. He was in a workout um, just, I think, about two months or two, yeah, about two months ago, so just before the draft, which is pretty decent from the uh, from the infield. Quick twitch. He has a really quick transfer from the uh, shortstop position. If he grows out of the shortstop position, it's like I mean, he, like, he's a big guy, but he has the tools to stick there. But if he moves out of it, he has the arm and the athleticism to kind of move out to the outfield, maybe stick in center field, probably move over to right. He's got the power to project out there. The hit tool will be the kind of concern with him is if he's is he going to be able to hit in game. The power is going to be there, but there's a lot to like here. Very risky pick, but a lot to be excited about. I like Blakely. I think he might turn into something. I really hope he develops properly, but. I'm excited about the next pick because it's another dirt bag like we had out of Long Beach State. I'm excited about it. I always love this school. Uh, we have Adam Seminaris, pitcher. He seems like a crafty lefty, a little Reagan-era fastball, mid to high 80s. He's got a couple different breakers. And, and really, more importantly, Seminaris has the ability to, to really limit hard contact. What does his future look like for the Angels? Yeah, so again, a pick that I like a lot, like you said, Long Beach State produces some some good talent, and he pitched well in the Cape last year, and that transitioned over well to this shortened season that we have. He's a pretty prototypical uh, left-handed type pitcher. He's got a nice four-pitch mix, and he uses each of those pitches very well. Um, his fastball, like you said, it sits about 88 to 90, but it does top at about 93. So there is a chance that he could continue to develop some velocity there and grow in that sense. Um he makes it work because his command is just so good on that pitch. He he also has uh, two breaking balls in the curve, being a little better than the slider. And his change is probably his best secondary pitch, um, which he uses to miss bats, and he induces a lot of weak contact on that pitch. Um, throws a lot of strikes. The ceiling is probably limited overall, but he does have a good feel for his pitches, and he's just he's just a pitcher. And he does that really well. Um, so there is some some things to like there um, with without the high upside ceiling. Yeah, Adam Seminaris just reminds me a lot of uh, another pitcher that came out of uh, Long Beach State a couple years back, uh, Jason Vargas. Just another lefty, sits low in mid or high high eighties, low nineties. Just good command of his pitches and gets a lot of soft contact. He just has some deception, and his changeup is. A really nice pitch is probably one of his better pitches and just lives low in the zone and his fastball works well off of it, curveball and slider. So I like to pick a lot. Another good pick for the Angels. Yeah, I really like uh, Seminaris as well. Um, it's kind of, he's a little bit similar to Reed Detmers in again where the command plays up because it's not just command that we're talking. It's the ability to control the strike zone and control at-bats. Uh, even more so, I think, than Detmers. He really, since he doesn't really have any plus pitch, he makes his stuff play off each, uh, off each other really, really well. 
He'll, he'll tunnel a fastball off a slider, off a changeup, and just kind of move hitters around, move them in and out of the box. Almost, I mean, this isn't a comp by any means, but almost in a Maddox-y kind of way, just that kind of pitching moxie to understand that and exploit batter's weaknesses. And it's really what's gotten him to where he is. And it's really fun to watch. It's fun to tune into a seminar start and just kind of watch him set up and put away hitters. Yeah, like Chris said, this guy just knows how to pitch. There's, he's not going to flash out to you, but he just knows how to pitch. Those are the types of pitchers that I, I really enjoy watching because I know that most of the people in the ballpark are having a boring time because they don't understand the, the mastery that's happening on the mound. Yeah, it takes a lot to, I mean, get professional hitters out at 88, 92 consistently. I mean, and you don't have plus stuff. It's, it's not an easy job. Absolutely. I think that if he keeps maintaining those productive outings, he'll be great in the bigs for sure. And the Angels will certainly be happy with each of those picks. But let's move to the next AOS team, the Texas Rangers. Honestly, they had a pretty interesting draft. A few picks where people kind of hummed and hawed over reaching for guys early and maybe missing out on key talents on the board. But I got to give it to them. They targeted their guys and they went out and, and they got them, no matter what other people's board said. Their first pick was, in my opinion, a pretty solid one, snagging Justin Foscue out of Mississippi State. Foskey certainly has the bat to advance to the next level, and he was moved from third to second in Mississippi State, so he's got experience around the infield. He seems like he can help the Rangers pretty quickly. What do you think his ceiling is? Yeah, this was a surprising pick, but like you said, they, they targeted their guys and they got them. It wasn't the way that I expected them to go in the first round. Um, Foskey was pretty below average his freshman year, but he worked hard. He became an All-American his sophomore year and helped Mississippi State reach the College World Series. He's, he's a very high floor pick, and he provides good offensive output for a second baseman. Um, he's got good strength overall and bat speed that ultimately leads to a pretty pull-heavy approach. Uh, he's very aggressive at the plate, which does lead to some swing and misses. But overall, he's pretty well-rounded, and he's a hitter that I like to potentially reach like the 20 home run mark while sporting a good batting average. Um, not the best runner, but his arm and his range do play well at second, but he does have the potential to move to third in the future. And like you said, they got their guy. They liked him. It was a surprise to me and probably many others, but a good pick and a good floor pick in that. Yeah, I think Foscu was tailor-made for this draft in that we kind of know who he is. He's, he's hit really, really well over the last two years in the SEC. Just, you know, very, very advanced approach at the plate, really good pitch recognition, and he finds the barrel really consistently. Um, it seems like whenever he's swinging, whenever he's, he's putting the barrel on the ball and hitting it hard. Uh, the questions, I think, with Foscu come with projecting that onto wood bats and how much impact he's going to have off that barrel. Cause it was a small sample, but he went out with the U S collegiate national team and didn't hit all that well. Now, I mean, he's only, it was only a handful of games with the CNT. So you don't want to say, Oh, he's never going to hit with wood because of that. But I think the question does become, since he's not the world's biggest guy, he's not the world's most explosive player. He's more just a very hitterish hitter is how much impact is he going to have off that barrel? We know he's going to find out. We know he's going to make consistent hard contact. Uh, I think he's going to hit, and as Chris said, I think he's going to be like, you know, a 15-20, maybe pop for 25 homer kind of guy with good on-base percentages. But, you know, pick 14, the microscope is really strong, and it's just, the question is just how much impact kind of are you guaranteed out of him? 
Yeah, I think it was a little bit early to take him. I'm not a, I don't hate him too much, but I just think there's a little bit of question marks in his swing. This, the long stride kind of takes away a little bit of his power, especially when he kind of gets on his front side and especially going into the wood. I think it's going to kind of damper it a little bit more. He shows a nice barrel contact, like you guys are saying. It's just a little worrisome with that long stride. I just, I don't know, gets him on his front foot a little too often for me, but. He reminds me a lot of like Nick Solak, just the guy currently playing for the Rangers, just the guy who can just kind of show a good little, good little hit tool, some power, and be around. He's not going to flat out kind of show out and be a standout player, but he'll definitely be able to help a team. Helping a team is, I mean, all the Rangers can really ask for at this point. They, they've got a lot of improvements that they need, so I think Justin Foscu can be that guy to help them kind of lead that charge. So, so Foscu was a known talent. We can all agree on that. The next guy the Rangers get, Evan Carter, not even listed on the MLB.com's top 200, not even listed on Baseball America's top 500, but he gets drafted 50th overall. I've got nothing on him. Who is he? So he's a really, really interesting hitter, and I'm going to throw a really interesting comparison on him uh, that I think is going to make Rangers fans happy. He's kind of like a poor man's Zach Veen. Oh. They're pretty. They're pretty similar players, kind of in my opinion. Carter is he's six four, um, really really long arms and legs, and he's got that like kind of big, powerful swing that you could project a lot of power onto with a lot of loft, a lot of leverage. He's a really really good ball player, and I think the reason he fell is just because he wasn't seen much at all. I mean, he's coming out of Elizabethan, Tennessee, which is you know kind of kind of out there, um, tucked, tucked away in the Smoky Mountains. He, he didn't go to a lot of showcase stuff. He wasn't seen much around there. So you're just kind of buying the picture of a baseball player here. You know, this big athletic guy with a big projectable swing um, and who's performed really well out there in Tennessee. So it's kind of he's the kind of guy where I think if he had gone to more showcase events and even performed just adequately – I think we, we he would have been a lot more of a known commodity on draft day. So the Rangers, I'm not going to say they are striking gold, but they could be. Uh, it's a really high upside pick, a guy who could be an all-around offensive performer for them. And on top of that, he's young for the class. He doesn't turn 18 until August, which is another bonus in his profile. This is... If it's if it's not my favorite, it's not my favorite pick, but it is a pick that I'm really excited to track just to see kind of what comes of him because we haven't seen him much. He's kind of, you know, a hidden gem. Yeah, I think I did exactly what everyone else did when the Rangers called the name Evan Carter is go to YouTube and try to find something on the guy. And I found literally nothing. So I found nothing on the guy. I only found one video that I forgot who posted. I think it was some guy from Baseball America that posted it on draft night that said he found something. And like Zach said, the swing looked good. Found another video recently and he looks like a good player. I don't know if he's going to be Zach Veen. I don't think he was exactly saying he's going to be Zach Veen either, but he definitely has some tools that kind of stick out to you that give you some thoughts that he has some big talent. And the Rangers, like you said, could be finding a, a really kind of hidden gem, but there's no real telling until this kid gets a pro ball and puts wood in his hand and faces some good pitching because we have really yet to see him do any of those things. So until we see that, I can't really make a good uh, judgment on this kid, but he's got tools that stand out to you for sure. Well, so Carter was an unknown that no one had video on. The next guy, Takoa Roby, uh, was someone who I actually had seen a couple videos on even prior to the draft who I personally had hired just because 
you know, I, I once I see a guy, once I fall in love with them, I'm like, oh, he's got to be a first round pick, second round pick. But Roby has a sinking fastball with a nice down breaking curve, and everything out of his hands just seems to have good movement. Does he have enough for this current arsenal, or does he have to add more pitches to to develop something? What do you guys think about Roby? I think he was the kind of guy that a lot of scouts were excited to watch this spring. I think a lot of tag, a lot of them tagged him as a guy who could take a step forward. He never really got that chance, but I mean, he's a really interesting arm, kind of a fresh arm. He's a six-one. He's been, you know, low nineties with his fastball up to ninety-four, um, and he gets good movement on it too. It's not a straight ninety-four. Well, ninety-four is what he tops out at, but it's not a straight low nineties. Um, got got a good curveball, um, good two-plane break on it. Um, but I think he's got more to go. He's, he's got a decent changeup, you know, with like most most high schoolers, you got to project on it. So he's got to refine his arsenal considerably if he does want to start. But you know, with high schoolers, that's that's not as much of an issue. Uh, I like him. Uh, I I think he has a chance to kind of leap forward with pro coaching. He doesn't get the world's best weight uh, power transfer from his legs and his uh in his windup. I, I think if you iron him out, I, I don't think he's that far from breaking out. And he, he's a very Rangers arm, you know, very, you know, projectable, a uh, lot of upside, but, you know, a lot of work to do as well. So as of right now, no, he doesn't have what it takes to start, but with most high, most high schoolers don't have the right now product. Yeah, you kind of touched on the thing I want to touch on is uh, on his mechanics. So, but just kind of going over his other stuff, he's more of like kind of control over command. He's still got to work on his command a bit, but I mean, most prep pitchers do. But like you said, his top's at 94, lives 88 or an 89 to uh, about 92 RPMs on the fastball, 23 to 2,500. So slightly above about, about average. Um, sure. It has some nice natural sink to it. The curveball is 76 to 78 has some downer action. Um, the solid pitch overall slashes about 55 grade overall in the future An 80, 81 changeup. It's, it's okay. Like, like Zach said, it's definitely, you can project, project it a little bit. It's not the best pitch, but there's some projection to it. And if he can round that out with some pro coaching, I think like Zach touched on that, I'll do a lot of good for him. But if they, if they can kind of turn that change up into something good, he's, he's got a chance to last as like a mid rotation starter. Well, I want to move on to the next guy, another pitcher, another prep pitcher for that matter out of Oregon. We got Dylan McLean, Chris, I'm interested to hear what you have to think about him. He doesn't seem to have much of a fastball, uh, similar to Seminaris earlier. It looks like he's sitting in the mid eighties. Uh, can he kind of overcome that to do something in the majors? Yeah, definitely. So he's still very young. He's 17 years old and he's already six foot three, 180. So big young lefty. So there's a lot of projectability and room to grow. Um, like you mentioned, the fastball is in the eighties, but this spring he was able to hit 93 a couple times. So there I do think that with age, with strength, with time, that he will grow into that velocity. And so I do like the potential for growth there. He overall has a good feel for his pitches. Um, And his command is pretty good. He commands the fastball really well. And he counters that with a low 70s curve that has some good depth to it. Uh, His change is his third pitch, and it projects to be probably pretty average in the future. It's not the best pitch right now, but it does have some projectability to grow to an average pitch. So a nice uh, three-pitch mix potential. And again, young, big dude, definitely potential to gain that velocity. So there is a potential for, for growth there. Okay. 
like Chris touched on, there's definitely some projection here. He's like, I was going to touch on too, that workout he had uh, recently, he was touching 92, 93. So there's definitely, he has it in him. It's just, he'll grow into it, kind of touch it more in games, but he has great command of his fastball. And uh, the curveball is definitely a little slow bender. It's 71, 73, but it keeps hitters off balance and off his fastball. It has 25 RPMs on it. Get some good, uh, good spin. But the changeup, he does a good job of commanding it. It just doesn't show really much like, depth or fade to it but he does a good job or sorry he does a good job of keeping it under the underneath the strike zone and kind of at the bottom of the strike zone so i have faith he can kind of develop that into a nice third pitch and he has a lot of pitch ability so i wouldn't be shocked either if they kind of found a way to add a little, little slider or a cutter into his repertoire and kind of make him a four maybe even a five pitch guy five pitch guy makes sense that they would do that over slot you're right it was a a 1.2 million dollar over slot pick value was five hundred thousand. They actually ended up oversliding the next guy as well, Thomas Segese. Segese, Segese. Zach, am I saying that Segese. correctly? Segese? Segese. Thomas Segese. Thank you. Uh, he was a Pepperdine commitment. They gave him double the slot value. And I, you guys are going to make fun of me for this. Jake, I know you're the comp guy, but I, I looked at some of his numbers. He only struck out 10% of the time with a walk rate of 14%. The only people in the majors that have that type of numbers – are Alex Bregman, Mookie Betts, and uh, Anthony Rendon. Those are three elite talents. Is Thomas Segese a, a, a poor man's, poor man's, whatever, anything like Bregman, Betts, or Rendon? I'm not sure. That that's a, Those are lo- pretty lofty. <laughs> <laughs> but again, the Rangers rounded out their draft class with Segese. He put up big numbers, man. His junior season, he hit 422 with 10 home runs, and – this season, he was off to a hot start as well. He was not ranked very high anywhere. Like Baseball America had him ranked like the 280th best player in the class. But I noticed that more and more people seem to be picking up on him. I mean, obviously, he's no Bregman, Betts, and Rendon. I, I, I'll take that away. But there's something to be said about that plate mentality. He has some sort of ability at the plate. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he, like you said, being a, he was a late riser. He didn't get noticed uh, very early on. And so maybe he, he ends up continuing to produce those numbers. And he, there, we see guys all the time that this happens with that, that ultimately aren't noticed. And then once they get in the minors and start developing, I mean, they, they do the thing. So he definitely has that potential. He's, he's got good plate presence and he's produced. I mean, the numbers back up what he's done. So there are some things to like. Yeah, I'm gonna. Um, I'm not gonna buy into the high school numbers as much as you you guys are. Uh, I'm not big on. I don't. I don't even really pay attention to high school numbers. Uh, but Segesi is an interesting guy. He's a really hard worker. Um, actually, interestingly, he he overcame PTSD as a child. He was uh, involved in a school shooting. Um, in el- in elementary school, and he worked really hard to overcome kind of the PTSD that came with that. And what we got is kind of a grinder type of player who makes really consistent contact from the right side, um, hits the ball hard to all fields very, very consistently. I think he's going to continue to do so in pro ball. He's he's a swing change candidate. It's kind of a really short swing, um, kind of an opposite field short swing that I think they're going to have to, they're going to have to get him a little more extended. So that's probably coming down the pipeline for him, just some mechanical cleanup, but it's a really broad base of skills and a guy who's got the work ethic to make them all play up. But yeah, I think you've got an all around kind of guy here. Well, I hope he makes it because I want to have that last name be a household name so that we'd stop stumbling over it. 
But <laughs> but uh, let's move on to the next team. Uh, the Oakland A's have had a constant chirping from the bleacher seats, always saying they're too cheap or, or whatever. Uh, but all that really means from a pr- front office perspective is things like the draft are crucial. Incoming talent or usurping outgoing talent is all you can ask for in the business of baseball. And that first incoming talent is a pretty special bat with Tyler Soderstrom. Um, I was actually talking with Jake the night of the draft. And as Soderstrom was kind of falling down the board, I looked at Oakland. I was like, oh, you know what? I know, I know Donaldson wasn't drafted by Oakland, but Soderstrom kind of reminds me of Josh Donaldson a little bit. It, it kind of makes sense for Oakland to pick him. And then a couple minutes later, boom, Oakland A selecting him. I really like him. I think he's a relatively polished high schooler. Where do you guys think he's going to land in the long run? Probably not catcher, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it all kind of depends, I think, on the framing and all that kind of if we're going to get a robot umpire and all that. But if that doesn't come under factors, I don't think he'll stay a catcher. He has He's athletic, but just the actions back there don't really match what you would kind of look for going forward. But he's more than athletic to fit elsewhere. He's been starting to work out at third base, left field already, so... He, I think he kind of knows he's going to have to be pretty versatile in his career or at least find a home elsewhere. But, I mean, he, he could fit really anywhere. I mean, left field, right field, first base, third base. Really, his bat's going to play no matter where you want to put him. This kid can just swing it. He's got a great approach to the plate. He's a nice balanced setup, really nice weight transfer, strong extension, raw power, 60 grade. It just shows, and then it shows up in game two. Like, the kid just shows out. He hits with wood, hits in high school games, hits in tournament games, hits in showcases. It just consistent hits and consistent barrels. I'm a big fan of his offensive profile. I think he'll be fine wherever he kind of lands defensively. I don't think he'll ever be a plus defender anywhere, but he'll definitely be around an average defender. He's just really athletic, has a good arm. I think the A's got a good one here. Yeah, and I think he also fits with the A's. You know, he's a, he's a hometown guy. Uh, Turlock isn't that far from Oakland. Uh, it's the closest closest stadium is, is in Oakland to him. So there's that. I, I always love a hometown guy. Yeah, but Soderstrom, you you have to love the bat. In terms of sticking behind the plate, you never know what's going to happen in a few years. But for now, it looks like Sean Murphy is pretty entrenched, and he will be for the long term. And if, if he if he does indeed become the ace catcher of the future, there's no way Soderstrom is pushing Murphy off there. Murphy's got a great glove. But that doesn't matter because the A's drafted the bat. You're, you're talking about a guy who the hit came first and the power followed. He's always been a guy who made really consistent, really hard contact against top pitching on the showcase circuit everywhere, just always, always, always driving the ball and, and rarely striking out. Now that he's begun to add more power, which we all saw coming, you're talking about a really great all-around impact bat. And I think the power will, is, is even going to play out in Oakland at that big stadium. Um, he's going to get on base a lot. And, and you're talking about, you know, at best, a, a real lineup anchor. Um, there's always going to be risk with these high school hitters, but the uh, the upside is really considerable here. And I don't think there's a ton. There's, of course, some risk. But I don't think there's a ton just because he's so established as a hitter and it's it's really all around. He's not a one-tool guy at the plate. So I really, really like him. Well, so it doesn't matter if he sticks at catcher, you're saying. So that bat's going to play regardless. Uh, if you move to the next pick, I kind of had the same mentality there where like, I don't know if he's a starter or a reliever, but I think his stuff's going to play no matter what. You got Jeff Criswell. Like I said, he bounced back and forth between the pin and being a starter in college. He's got some nice pitches in his repertoire, but he does get in little funks that kind of slow him down developmentally. Is he a starter? Is he a relief? Is he some sort of tweener? Yeah, I'm not sure where he ends up, but he does have highly regarded stuff, uh, as Arsenal includes uh, three potentially above-average pitches. Uh, he maintains uh, mid-90s velocity on his fastball, 
in his longer outings, like you mentioned, he's been both in the pen and a starter. But even as a starter, he's been able to maintain that velocity in longer outings. The downside is his shaky control. Uh, there's some ability or, or lack of ability to consistently find the strike zone, which could ultimately determine whether he ends up as a starter or a reliever. And fortunately, like you mentioned, he's got experience doing both. So I think a lot depends on whether he's able to find that consistency with his command or not. Yeah, I, I like the stuff Crystal has. It's 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 a little risky, like like you said. There's just some, some command issues and control, but um, when his when his control and command is on, he has pretty good stuff. But it's just kind of far in between, or far and few between. But um, his mechanics can get a little funky. Uh, and out of sorts, his arm kind of lags a little bit behind his plant leg and uh, is forced to catch up a bit. And his plant leg has some really weird bend to it. That kind of has me a little worried kind of going forward. I don't know if that's going to be able to kind of last if, unless he's very flexible or something. But it just has some very weird kind of rotation to it. I'm not sure it's very healthy for his leg. But going forward, the stuff's nice. I think if he if he turns into a rotation arm, he's going to be kind of a third, fourth starter kind of type. He's not going to ever be kind of that frontline guy. He has good stuff, but just the command is just kind of always going to be there, I think. Just with his mechanics, they're all just kind of... Unless they is kind of do a whole makeshift with him, but I'm just, I think he has potential, but there's a lot to work through. His stuff kind of battles through it, but I wouldn't be shocked if he just landed in the pen and kind of let his stuff play up a bit. Yeah, I think as you guys said, uh, the command is going to be kind of the determining factor for whether he ends up as a starter or reliever. The good news is he's got a great track record at Michigan. Uh, he's been pitching in that star-studded rotation with like the Carl Kaufmans and the Tommy Henrys of the world. But he's really held his own there. He's been a really consistent performer for Michigan out of their rotation. He's got, you know, all his stuff is kind of in that 50 to 55 range. There's no true 60s in there. Uh, fastball is kind of in the mid-90s. Um, the the slider is, is it's a good slider, good changeup, but, you know, nothing true plus. And when you've got that shaky command, uh, I think you'd like to have that true plus pitch to kind of make up for it that kind of pitch you can get people to chase even if you're not spotting it perfectly. So the key with Chris Wall, I think, is going to be developing that command if he wants to stick in rotation. And if not, I think you've got a really good bullpen arm. You could even be, as, as these bullpen roles are evolving, I think you could actually you could fit well as a long reliever as well. Nice. Well, uh, the next guy kind of confuses me a bit. We have Michael Goldberg out of Georgia Tech. He's an outfielder, but I don't know what to make of him. It seems like the contact in the eye is there. He batted uh, 374 with a career OBP of 465 at Georgia Tech. But he is a first baseman corner outfielder, and his collegiate slugging percentage was lower than his on-base percentage. That type of stat is, is rare to see out of premium power positions. Can he stick in the corners or at first base? Is he going to have to learn to play somewhere else? I don't think he's going to end up a first baseman. Uh, I think y you could kind of put that Alec Burleson comp on him, like the Cardinals uh, – the Cardinals pick, but I, I don't think he's going to stick as a first baseman. I think he'll be in the outfield because he, he's a good runner. I mean, he's not a plus runner, but he he can he can run. He can track down fly balls. So I think I think it'll be an outfielder, not a first baseman. Uh, still, there's not a ton of power there. He finds he makes contact as consistently as almost anybody in college baseball. But you know, often with him, he's kind of poking line drives over infielders' heads, spraying it to all fields, and he's really really good at that. But how much impact he's going to hit for on top of that? I don't know. He has 19 career extra base hits in 104 games. Uh, that's not a lot. 
with metal and then you're dropping to wood. So I see him as kind of a fourth, fifth outfielder. He's a very, very A's pick. You know, he's on base all the time, mm-hmm. but probably a fourth or fifth outfielder. I, I, I don't see him tapping a ton of power. I mean, maybe he could get to a little bit just because he's, you know, he has such good barrel control, but it, yeah, we're, we're probably not talking a starter here. We're talking kind of a fourth, fifth outfielder guy plays a lot of left, maybe Fills in and setter if needed. Uh, I mean, he's a little stretched there, but okay. Yeah, he his sophomore year he uh, he was a DH kind of due to a shoulder injury, so couldn't really get a big look at him out there in the in the field. But this past year, like you said, he's not the best outfielder, but he'll make it work out there and left. I definitely think he's fine out and left. I don't think he'll be first base, and especially with that power, I don't think there's any real power in this swing like he kind of touched on. There's just really nothing kind of showing me that he's going to tap into anything in the future, but. His, he has really good bat-to-ball skills. Has one of those knacks for just kind of finding hits. I mean, there's no real, like, stat for it. It's just the guy just knows how to find holes. I mean, I, I don't know how to really else to explain it. He's just one of those hitters that knows how to place the ball well and find a hole and find a way on base. And like Zach touched on, it's just a really ace pick, and I like it. And he stole 11 bases in, uh, at Georgia Tech. He wasn't caught at all. I'm kind of wondering why he didn't steal more. I know he doesn't have like the plus speed, but he had a really good uh, success rate. So I think his speed kind of plays up there. Maybe it could be due to great jumps and all, but could be something to kind of look forward to. Maybe can I kind of add that to his game? Well, I think you're right. The ability to just kind of place the ball in the field still has a very strong importance to the game. It's not all about hitting home runs. So as long as he can spray some line drives out there, he can make the team. But the next pick, I don't understand Dane Acker his command keeps improving year after year after year. He Out of Oklahoma, sure, he was behind Levi Prater and Cade Cavalli, but he never took that, that leap forward uh, when it came to his stuff. But he went from a 4.6 walk rate down to a 1.8. He's really hammering the zone, really taking control. Why does he fall so far here? I thought Acker was a really good pick. I thought he could go second round. Yeah, so he's actually kind of the opposite of Chris Wool that we talked about. So instead of having the flashy velocity that he's still learning to control. Like Acker has a more modest arsenal that he already commands well to its full effect. Um, It ultimately profiles like lower upside, but he's very polished. He's got a very durable arm. And I think it gives him a real chance to stick as a starter in the pros. He's, he's already shown what kind of pitchability he has um, back in March when he threw a no-hitter against LSU. Um, so, again, good competition, and he showed that ability. And it's a good pick. It's not flashy. It's a floor pick, but but really good command. And like I mentioned, the modest arsenal, but I don't think that holds him back. And so it's a good pick. It's You're not going to see like a high upside, but a back-in-the-rotation arm that, that commands pitches well is, is what you're getting here. Well, I, I mean, that, that high floor is, is always a, a solid rotational stuff there. So the next pick, though, I'm curious what you think about his floor and ceiling, Zach. We got Stevie Emanuels. He kisses 95 from time to time, huge 6'5 frame. It gives him extension and link to the plate. He spent time in both the bullpen and starting rotation, like we said with Chriswell earlier. Where do you see him landing in Oakland? I really like Emmanuel's. I think this is, aside from Soderstrom, because you can't not like that pick, this is my favorite pick of, of the A's draft, at least after the first round. Um, Emmanuel's is trending up. I think Chris Will has been more of a guy who's been kind of static. He's a, he's a steady performer 
at Michigan. Manuel's just trending up. He he's spending a lot more time in the rotation recently. Big big guy at six five. Those long arms, as you said, releases the ball really close to the plate. Uh, he sits in the low nineties, but he's been bumping the mid nineties more often. Uh, he's got a really good slider, the really sharp, really sharp slider that he can drop in there and miss bats with. He's got a curveball as well that he's kind of learning to work off his slider. It's a little slurvy right now, but he's learning to kind of differentiate it. And I think that'll end up being the above average pitch in time as well. Uh, and he's also working in a changeup and a two-seam fastball. I mean, everything, this kid's just growing as a pitcher. He's getting better and better. He's continuing to you know add things that he can do, whether that's adding, proving he can start, adding breaking balls, adding, adding that two-seamer. He, he's just going in the right direction. He's throwing more strikes as well. Uh, I think as he continues to grow into his body, uh, you're going to see that command that, you know, a 50 now kind of grow into a 55. I mean, I'm all bought in on Stevie Emanuel. So wow. this, is, yeah. this is my guy. I think you've got so many building blocks that are trending in the right direction that I think that you're not, even though we're in the fifth round here, I don't think you're looking at a four or five starter. I think you could be looking at a three or even a two if everything breaks right. I mean, I, I think the A's did really well with this pick. Nice. Yeah, you sound incredibly high in Emanuel's. That's so Emanuel's gets the much higher ceiling than than uh than Acker. So that's a that's interesting to see how that's going to play out. I want to move to the final team, the one that everyone was looking forward to boo in person this year, the Houston Astros. Uh, with Lunhow out of the system, this is a uh, GM James Click's first draft, and he ended up grabbing a couple pretty interesting guys. Uh, first overall, or not first overall, because it's the second round, he grabs Alex Santos. Santos is a long, lanky prep pitcher from New York City, and he seems like he has a lot of development to grow into his body there. He's raw right now, but how high is his ceiling? Yeah, the Astros didn't have a first-round pick, but they made a really impressive selection with their with their first pick. I love Santos. I think he's a perfect fit with the Astros and what they try to do with their pitchers as well. Um, his fastball is 92-94, touches 95, even 96, with late with late uh, sinking action to it. Has 2,600 RPM in a bullpen just recently before the draft, so has is getting up there, sitting about 2,450, 2,500 RPM in the good range or, uh, consistently, so it's still flashing really good numbers as well. Works really well up in the zone, gets a lot of swing and misses. The slider, 77 to 80, with pretty good spin rates as well. I don't have the numbers on that, but has some good bite to it. Gets some good swing and misses as well. Has potential to turn into a plus pitch, but I'll put a 50, 50, about a 50 on it right now. Definitely a potential to go with there. Um, the changeup has really nice life to it, but it is his third pitch. Far further off in his fastball and slider, but there is some some stuff to like there. It's about 82, 80, uh, 84. I, 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 really I, I don't think the Astros really got screwed with not having a first-round pick. Santos was expected to go a little higher in the draft. They overslotted him, I'm pretty sure, and... He's going to fit really well with him. Like I said, they they work really well with exactly kind of his repertoire and everything he kind of has going for him. So I'm expecting a lot of good things from Santos with the Astros. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Alex Santos as well. I mean, I wouldn't have been upset if somebody picked him 30 picks earlier. I, I think there's a ton of upside to grow into here. And I think part, part of the reason the Astros didn't get totally screwed is because this is the comp pick for Garrett Cole. I mean, they wouldn't have picked until the end of the third round had it not been for losing Garrett Cole. Um but Santos has a ton to work with. I mean, he's got a really projectable body, you know, kind of an ideal pitcher's frame that he's growing into. Good fastball velocity that's, you know, low to mid-90s now, could be more consistently mid-90s down the line. Really good breaking ball as well. You know, kind of a it's the it's kind of a 55 right now, but it's heading towards a 60. And I think it'll get there. The changeup again, you know, requires a little bit of imagination, but he's got the feel for it. 
it's definitely it's not a distant third. It's more of just a third pitch. Strike throwing is coming along as well. It's another guy, kind of like Emmanuel's, that's just trending up. I really like him. I think you could turn this into an impact starter without a lot of imagination. Just kind of the, the pitcher's body, the the great stuff, the, the command that's coming along, the loose arm. I think he would have fit really well, you know, within even the top 50 picks. This is, this is a really cool arm. So we have a big man potential starter right there with Alex Santos. Now, Zach, you're going to love the next one because I see him as a reliever. He was a reliever at Vanderbilt. A third round pick on a reliever is exactly what you ask for every single time. Uh, now, was he a reliever at Vandy just because they were such a stacked rotation? Is this guy actually a starter or is he just another third round reliever? So the answer to your question is yes. He was only a, he was really only a reliever because their rotation was so stacked. Is he a reliever in pro ball? I think that's a little more likely of a yes. But I mean, at Vanderbilt, he, he could have absolutely started at, you know, I don't know how many D1 programs are there, like 320. I mean, he could have been a starter at like 319 of them. Um, okay <laughs> but uh i mean it's vanderbilt we're talking about this guy ha- this guy has a really interesting backstory i mean it, it, he's been through a lot in his life he, lo- he lost his mother to cancer when he was 13 uh he had to move across the state of ohio kind of into foster care he grew up in foster care after that blew out his elbow uh in high school all the teams that were scouting him kind of backed off except for vanderbilt and they won vanderbilt won big by bringing him along uh, he, he has a daughter with Down syndrome that's become a huge presence in the Vanderbilt clubhouse. If nothing else, he's shown you that he can work through adversity and he can really thrive in, in difficult times. And that has really helped him in the bullpen because he's, you know, when he comes out, he's got ice in his veins. So I don't hate this pick. I don't think because I don't think he's just a reliever. I mean, I, he probably ends up reliever, but I, I think there is starter upside. He's got four pitches. Uh, mainly works off the fastball slider, um, you know, low to mid-90s fastball, really good slider. But he works in a curve and a changeup as well. He's a good strike thrower. So I think if the Astros are able to go in and polish up either that curve or that change, I think you do have a starting pitcher here. I, I don't know how low the velocity would tick down over longer stretches because, I mean, low to mid-90s isn't elite for a reliever, but and he might be closer to 90 as a starter. But if the Astros can get those secondary pitches to come along, beyond the slider i think i think you have a starting pitcher here i don't know they've got a lot of pitching in their system so i don't know if they feel the need to do that and he's done so well in the bullpen that it kind of is the idea that if it ain't broke don't fix it he's built for the ninth inning he, he's really lights out in that situation and he could be the kind of guy that could get a two or three inning save so so i like brown more than most relievers just because i think he could start i guess similar to the astros I mean, a different profile, but the same type of like a reliever who could start, who's going to be able to eat a lot of innings, maybe like a Chris Davinsky. Yeah, you're kind of kind of like that guy who can go two or three innings and, and not lose any effectiveness in his stuff. Oh, well. well, I mean, there was a point where Chris Davinsky was thought of as one of the elite relievers in the league. So if Ty Brown can be that, that is something special. But let's go across the state to University of Tennessee. The Astros grab Zach Daniels, an outfielder, who seems to have a lot of really high tools. He's got above average power, plus speed, potentially the ability to play center field. The one thing where scouts were saying his hit tool was weak, but I'm looking at a 357 batting average with four home runs and eight doubles, and it is a short season. But small sample size be damned, this kid seems like he can hit now. 
did he turn things around and the scouts just haven't caught up to him yet? Yeah, I think that's very likely because he didn't hit well his first two seasons. He hit 161 and at 200 respectively in his first two seasons. Like you mentioned, he's, he's very toolsy and he comes into the system and he's like a top of a high potential list, like a lot of high potential guys and, and Daniels will be added to that list. Like you mentioned, he had started breaking out this year before the shutdown in 17 games, hit 357, uh, a 1228 OPS, eight doubles, and four home runs. He has above average raw power and plus speed in the outfield that plays well. And he can play all three outfield spots. And he possesses an average arm in the outfield. But overall, there are good tools. But I think a lot of the scouts just was this a fluke that he had done this in the short season because he only played 17 games this year because what we saw in the first two seasons was was not like this but I do think that maybe he's was finally catching up to his tools and just begin to perform well so there is some things to like and there is a high ceiling that I think he could reach so it plays well for the Astros another pick that that they just hit on and I think could be a great value for them sure yeah, there's some stuff to work on, but like like you said, there's a ton of tools here to play with. Um, like you said, just a lot of plus speed, plus raw power, and he taps into it in game. He's got a vertical bat, vertical bat angle uh, with a short compact swing. Some uh, nice balance approach. I think just some swing and missing there. It just sometimes he gets a little long. Sometimes he just is behind the ball. It's just I don't know some picking up uh, some breaking balls a little bit. But overall, he he's got a lot of fun stuff to play with, and I think the Astros will do a little bit with him, but we'll see. I mean, the Astros developing hitters is something that they've done very well over recent years. So if they can get that hit tool down, you're right. That is going to be something special. We move to UC San Diego for the next guy. It's Shea Whitcomb, and he's a player who already kind of has the hit tool. He kind of already has a good slash line. He's managed over his entire career at UC San Diego to hover around a slash line of 315, 420, 550. The power does seem to kind of be creeping up a little bit. But I guess I have two questions. At a small school like UC San Diego, shouldn't he be feasting on camp- on competition? His stable batting line kind of worries me that there's not a lot of development left. And what about his fielding? He's listing as a shortstop, but will it stick? Um, so Wickham is probably a second baseman uh, long term, and I don't think he's you know kind of the explosive athlete that you you look for in a shortstop. But I think his bat profile is a second base. I'm a big fan of his. I know the numbers aren't. They're not like MVP numbers that he's putting up there, but they're they're good numbers at UC San Diego. And, you know, in Southern California, even when, when you get down below D1, you're still playing good competition. And he did. He hit eight home runs on the Cape, which is a lot. So he has performed against the good competition as well. I, I think if he was a D1 player, I think you might be talking about him maybe 50 picks earlier just because he's, he's a steady performer. He's not a power hitter. He's a polished hitter who can hit for power. And I, I really like a guy who can do that, who can make that consistent contact. But if he wants to turn on a base on a ball, he can really smoke one and he can really yank one out of the park. Kind of a fringe starter kind of projection in that he, he can make contact, he can hit for power. No really plus tools, but you know, 50s and 55s across the board, especially at the plate. I think if you develop this right, you've got a starting second baseman who can hit you know, 15, 20, maybe 25 home runs a year. Uh, with good on base percentages, that's you know that's the high end projection. But with the way he's just kind of consistently performed and consistently barrels up the baseball, I think you're looking at a pretty safe bet of at least a utility infielder. 
Um, he, he's a nice find in the fifth round and a guy who would have gone higher, I think, if he had played at a Division One school. I mean, a utility infielder where your starters are Carlos Correa and Alex Bregman, you can't really complain about that. That's You're still doing fine. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. It is, he, he's not – I don't think he's going to hit as much as those guys, but I think he'll fit in behind them really well. Nice. Well, Chris, Zach, Jake – it's that time. Don't start playing semi-sonic yet, though. We still have one more draft recap to do. The NL West has some house favorites like Zach Veen and Robert Hassel, and they seem to be really leading the charge on the ever-talented NL West. But while I have you, and as you say your goodbyes, where can people find you on social media? And which pick in the AL West is your personal favorite? Uh, you can find me on Twitter, uh, jtillinghass27. Uh, J-T-I-L-L-I-N-G-H-A-S-T-2-7. Um, my favorite pick, probably just going to have to go straight homer here and bank on Blakely hitting that true potential that he shows slightly. It's big, but we'll see if it can kind of play out long term. Yeah, and I'm Zach Silverman. You can find me on Twitter at ZachMatt4, Z-A-C-K-M-A-T-T-4. Uh, also, I write for I write my own kind of blog at dugoutagebaseball.blogspot.com. My personal favorite pick, uh, Stevie Emanuel's um, to the A's. Two-pitch guy right now with average command, so it doesn't look like a ton, but everything is trending in the right direction. And I think you have the potential to go from a two-pitch guy with average command to a five-pitch guy with above-average command, and that's exciting to me. And I'm Chris Clegg. You can find me on Twitter at RotoClegg, C-L-E-G-G. Uh, this pick may be, uh, it may be a stretch to take a first rounder, but Emerson Hancock, definitely my favorite pick. I do think the Mariners got uh, great value there. And uh, from a guy who was potentially going and then talked about going first overall, just a uh, great, great pitch mix, great pitchability, great command. There's so much to like. And I think he'll fit in well there in the Mariners system. So not sure if a first round pick is, what we're looking for but that's my favorite pick from, from this division it in fact was not what we were looking for but that's fine <laughs> as always though i'm john giles you can find me at puma revive that's p-u-m-a-r-e-v-i-v-e-d and one day i will have as many twitter followers as the illustrious chris clegg uh my guy for this draft i'll stay in seattle with your emerson hancock I'll go with Taylor Dollard all the way to the fifth round, their last pick. When you're getting a potential starting rotation guy in your last overall pick in the draft, you can't beat it. I'm excited to see how he plays out in that Mariners farm system. But until that day comes, please continue to go to prospectsworldwide.com for all of our player scouting reports, analysis, team draft recaps, and more. And don't forget to rate and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to these sweet, sweet scouts. Join us next week with the NL West. I'll see you all then. Thanks for listening, and you know the drill here by now. I'm John Giles, and this is Prospects Worldwide.